You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. And Miss, Miss Julie to the rescue. She nabbed my sermon off of my desk. Uh, so we have some notes. That's great. Thank you, Miss Julie. The congregation thanks you. Um, it's good to be with you uh, today. It's been, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, and like I said, we, we finally gave Tim the day off uh, so he can uh, uh, enjoy uh, some rest and relaxation. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, so two weeks ago, I gave the keynote address for a conference called Discerning Call in an Augmented Age, where it talked about augmented technology, not information age, but augmented age and how we can recruit the best and brightest uh, to be servants of the church. In this new day and age of this new technology, it was pretty fantastic. And it just happened to be at Disney World. So I decided, you know what? I'll take one for the team and I'll go uh, to this conference. And then the week after that, I uh, went up to Nashville uh, to work with the uh, United Methodist Publishing House in Cokesbury. They're doing some really amazing things, uh, some new products that we get to test. Uh, and it's a lot of fun, and I wish I could tell you about it. It's coming soon, and it's, it's, it's just great uh, how they're answering the call uh, to, to bring Scripture and devotions a little closer to home. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to tell you about that when I can. Uh, but we're here. Our Scripture lesson today is from John, the sixth chapter. Uh, pay no attention to what's written in your bulletin. That's on me, not on Casey. I changed it on her. So we're going to read John, chapter 6, verses one through 14. It will be on the screens and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. After this, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the, festivals of the, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for all of these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them, even to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had, been, who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this feeding of the 5,000, for many of us, it is a familiar story. Uh, It's the only 
miracle outside of the resurrection that's recorded in every gospel. It must be a big deal. Even though every gospel offers its own flavor of what happened that day, this story always reminds me of Christie's grandmother, whose name is Chris, where Christie received her, her namesake. Uh, when we were in divinity school, uh, I, I believe, uh, we were married and we went up and, and spent time in their, in their second home, which is in the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, you know, the house that Dolly built. Uh, we went up there uh, for three days. And uh, Miss Chris went to the, to the grocery store uh, to feed us for three days, of which I'm thankful. And she came back with a single rotisserie chicken. You know where this is going. Because I can eat a rotisserie chicken during the commercial break between quarter number one and quarter number two, right? So this comes up with a rotisserie chicken. I'm like, oh, it's great, wonderful. Like, what are you eating? (laughs) Thank you so much. But we ate for three days on this rotisserie chicken. She used every bit of it, and it was fantastic. It was an amazing thing to watch, especially on the last day, Sunday morning, when she took the carcass of this thing, and she boiled it, and she uh, she made gravy out of it which was fantastic. So I'm going, I'm going through the line, right? And I got my biscuits and she's about to pour gravy, but I'm not a big fan of gravy. So I tell her like, no, no, thanks. I don't need any gravy. I don't really like gravy. And then the look on her face was as if I had slapped Jesus himself. You know, she looked at me and was like, and then she looked at Christy like, I don't know. I just don't know about this guy. I don't trust nobody who doesn't like gravy, right? That's kind of like what, what happened uh, in that moment. But it was amazing to see what she can do and how resourceful she was in using this single rotisserie chicken to feed us for, th- for three days. And I'm, I'm always mindful of that when I read this story of Jesus feeding the multitudes with which, with which was thought to be nothing. He fed the multitudes with which was thought to be nothing, nothing. 11 scripture says, after this, the beginning of it says, after this, well, what is the this, right? I love that when the lectionary starts, after this, what's the this? Well, the this was, he was talking to some Pharisees. You know, Jesus had broken the rules again. He healed someone on the Sabbath, and that made the religious elite, the religious folk, really angry. So Jesus started teaching them about Moses and who Moses really was and what Moses came to establish. Jesus is not a kind of Moses. Moses was a kind of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus' life. And he's teaching them of who Moses was. And he goes, look, if, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't believe in Moses, how can you believe in me? Is it, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath or, or evil? Let us do good. And sometimes good means healing someone, even though I'm well aware of what the rules say about doing work on the Sabbath. So Jesus, after this, uh, he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. They weren't following him because he had a really great website, or that he looked good in a sweater vest. They weren't following him uh, because he, he knew how to navigate airline drive. They were following him because they had seen and experienced transformation in their life. They had seen and experienced wholeness and healing. I've not yet met someone who joined a church because of the magnet that we gave them when they visited. But people do join a church because they're experiencing Christ himself. And that's why this crowd is following him. Not because he had a really great marketing strategy. They were being healed. And they were becoming whole. So this great crowd started to follow Jesus. He goes up 
the mountain to be with the disciples. And I love this. When he goes up the mountain, it says that he then looked up to see the people. That's weird. He's up the mountain, but then he looks up to see the crowd that is coming. And it's because Jesus never looks down on a crowd. Jesus never looks down on someone in need of forgiveness. Jesus never looks down on someone who is hungry to be whole. Jesus never looks down on folks in need, especially in need of grace and in need of wholeness and in need of forgiveness. He didn't look down on the crowd. He looked up. That's the posture of a servant. He looked up at the crowd. Now, if you are uh, uh, Jewish and you're reading the story for the first time in the first century in Palestine, you are now beginning to understand what this story really is about. So here's a man who was just taught about Moses. He just taught about Moses and he leaves a place. He goes across the water. People follow him because of the signs that they are doing, that he is doing. He goes up the mountain and then he feeds them. This is the story of the Exodus that we're seeing. This is what John wants us to realize because what John says then is, and the Passover, the Passover was near. And I hope that the Passover is always near. That celebration of God offering life, that celebration of a people who had received freedom from slavery and bondage, people who had received a freedom in order to serve God, a caravanning group of marauders who were looking for the promised land, looking to better their life. And that's our story. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are united to that story, this caravan looking for a better life. The Passover is near. Um, Thanksgiving is near. But it's not a calendar thing. I hope Thanksgiving is always rolling off of your tongue. John, when he tells us that the Passover is near, he's not talking about a calendared event. He's talking about a state of being. At least for us. Christmas is near. And I know, I know, I know. People get bent out of shape. People start singing Christmas carols in October. And that's fine. Go somewhere and be grumpy. That's okay. Like, I was talking to Kyle earlier, because we have Christmas in North Bossier coming up. Kyle's been listening to Christmas music since July. (laughs) <laughs> like, we've been, you know, when you're in church leadership, that ship has sailed a long time ago. It, it's been Christmas for a couple of months in the office, you know, in the inner sanctum of where the magic happens. But it's not saying that Passover is near, saying that Advent is near is not a calendar thing. It's I hope we are always looking forward to welcoming Christ into the world. Easter is near. It's not a calendar thing. I hope you're always close to the revelation that Christ is alive. The Passover is near. John tells this to us so that we can see and make no qualms about it that what is happening here, this feeding of the 5,000, is a retelling of the Exodus story. Jesus crossed a body of water. People followed him because of the miracles that they were doing. He went up to the mountain with believers and then he fed everyone. I love this. So Jesus goes to to, um, Philip. Now Philip, Philip is like the ministry strategist of the group. He's the problem solver. He brings people to Jesus. He works on issues. He's kind of like a consultant. Uh, He comes in and tells you everything you're doing wrong and then leaves. (laughs) That's what Philip, that's kind of his MO. So Jesus asks Philip, Philip, hmm, how are we going to buy food for all of these people? And then scripture says that Jesus said this to test him. And I've always had a problem with that text. Like, why didn't Jesus just say what he was going to say and 
do what he was going to do. But finally, that made sense when I became a parent. So, Isabel, how are we going to solve this problem? Right? Um, It's one thing for me to do it, one thing for me to say what to do. It's another thing to say, how are we going to fix this problem? How are we going to make amends to what has gone? How are we we going to buy food for all of these people? And Philip, being the good strategist, he crunched the numbers. He's like, look, I'm doing the numbers, baby, and uh, half a year's wage is not going to be enough for just one person to, to eat anything. And then uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, oh, but there's a guy here. There's a guy here who has bread and fish, though what is that to a crowd this big? I love the fact that Jesus says, we need to feed these people, and the disciples say, well, here's food, eh, but that really doesn't mean much of anything. So then Jesus says, ask them to sit down. This lesson, I mean, he asked them to sit down on the grass, which is great. Um, uh, there was a lot of grass there. It wasn't on the West Coast. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol, those, those hills are only green between mid-January and mid-March. So when he asked them to sit down in the grass, it was a, John giving us a hint that this is a story of life, an abundant life, because the hills are not green for very long. So... Um, but again, it's not a calendar thing. It's just John showing us that what's going to happen is, is, is life. He asks them to sit down. He takes the bread. He blesses it. And, and the word there is Eucharist. He gives thanks and, and blesses it and breaks it and gives it. to Because there's not really a, um, there's not an institution of the Last Supper in the Gospel of John. Uh, this is about as close as we get. He took the bread. He blessed it and gave it to the disciples. Now often, this sermon uh, is about uh, abundance and bounty and God offering us uh, what we need. But what's really surprising about this text is not, is not what Jesus did with uh, the fish and loaves, so that it's surprising and it is miraculous and it's recorded in all four Gospels. What's truly surprising is what Jesus did with the leftovers. Or at least John makes a big deal about everyone had their fill. Now, with Moses in the wilderness, when they were caravanning to find the promised land, to get to this new nation of milk and honey, to better their lives, manna from heaven was given to them. Daily. They received manna daily for what they needed. In this story, with Jesus, they received what they needed and some. It was abundant. It was left over. There was enough to go around. They were already full and there was enough. It's just like in the wedding of Cana of Galilee. When Jesus turned water into wine... There was enough wine to go around. He made 70 gallons of it after everyone had had enough rosé. He had 70 gallons. There was an abundance there. That's what Jesus... Jesus is not just another Moses. Moses was a kind of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, and there there is an abundance here. There's more than what we need. Sometimes, Sometimes there's even more than we know what to do with. But in this story, what has captured my imagination... And if, if I preached on it tomorrow, the sermon would be different. But for today, what has captured my imagination is that Jesus called them to gather the leftovers, especially with Thanksgiving on the mind. Gather the leftovers. Or another way to say it is gather that which you think is unimportant. Gather the, those things on the periphery that you don't think you need. These are the bookends of the story. 
we need to feed these people. Here's a young man with lunch, but it doesn't mean anything. And Jesus, in a way, is saying, if you think this fish and loaves that this young boy has is nothing, give your nothing to me and watch what happens. Here's a blessing right here, and you think it's not worth anything. If you think it's worth nothing, then give it to me and watch what happens. And then, at the end of the feeding, gather up the leftovers. Gather them up. Don't throw them away. And then they gathered 12 baskets. 12 is the number of Israel. It's the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, 12, the number 12, represents people. Not things, not stuff, not nations. It represents people. When Jesus says, gather up the leftovers, and there were 12 baskets left, it's a lesson in what God does with leftovers. God incorporates leftovers. The things that we think are unimportant. Maybe the people we think who are unimportant. God gathers them up too and incorporates them into the meal. In this text, Jesus says nothing is wasted and thank God for it. Nothing is wasted. No one is wasted. No gift, no matter how small you think it is, is unimportant. Here's a boy with fish and loaves, but what is that to this crowd? Really? Okay, well then give it to me. And watch what happens when we pour out the Holy Spirit. And then the people say, after they had had their fill and after they gathered these 12 baskets, they say, this is surely the prophet who's coming into the world. No, not prophet. The Messiah. The story's not finished yet. The crowd is getting there. The crowd is getting there. But they're not yet there. It's nearly time for the Passover, John says. Understanding that's not a calendar thing. It's nearly time to see the life-giving work of God. It's nearly time for Thanksgiving, this great meal of reconciliation. It's nearly time to remember our own story. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are connected to a group of caravanners finding bread and honey. It's nearly time to recognize what God can do with the things that we think are left over and unimportant or no longer useful. It's nearly time, for example, to see the angel tree in our narthex to remind us that the crowd didn't follow Jesus because of his website. They followed Jesus because they found transformation and healing and wholeness. It's nearly time. It's nearly time. So keep awake. So keep awake to the blessings that you will see this week around the table of reconciliation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, you who chooses to journey with us through the wilderness, you who offers us what we need and more, you who calls us to gather up what we might think is leftovers, whether that's what we own, whether that's what we share, whether it's the people in our life, you want to use all of who we are for the glory of your kingdom. Father, we give you thanks as we turn our hearts and our minds to this great season of thanksgiving. As we gather around the table 
with our family and our friends. Help us to remember that it is a table where the other is welcomed. Help us to receive your blessing and help us to share it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.